calling God. You call us into this time of sacred pause to remember that we are all human beings, all made in your image, all your children. May we withdraw our sharp words and judgments and instead break open our hearts for compassionate, deep listening to one another. Be reminded that you are precious to God, so loved and so worthy of love. I know you may not feel it at at this time, but it is true. God loves you. God indeed loves you. God's love is written inside your heart and can never be removed, never changed, never diminished. Know this in your heart of hearts that you are made in God's image. Loving God, we, you are with us even in the shadows and bleakness, among the haunts and spooks. There is no place where you can't be found. There is nothing we have to fear in you. We call upon you to draw close when we are in the shadows, when it is difficult to find the light. Help us to know you are always near. Guide us through the valley of the shadow with your rod and staff before us, comforting us until we come to the table where all are welcome. You have prepared for us the welcome table. But even when our hope seems lost, may we know you never leave us and will always hold on to us. In the name of Christ we pray. The witness of Scripture is the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets.
1992, author Gary Chapman wrote a book about love languages, an idea that people communicate care in a variety of ways. Chapman detailed five love languages. Some give gifts, others give compliments. Some value quality time, and others offer service. And still others hold hands or give hugs. The idea, especially for couples, is that it is helpful to know each other's love language so that affection and care is shared in a way that is meaningful. It does no good to send flowers if 30 minutes of undivided time is what is valued. Well, with Chapman's insight in mind, we might ponder God's love language. Now, sadly, for anyone whose picture of God is more distant or judgmental, the idea of God's love language might sound foreign. However, except for several stories in Judges, a few select psalms, and most of the book of Revelation, the balance of the biblical story speaks of a God whose primary language is love and love that's not limited to five expressions. Creation is God's love language. It's beauty and seasons, it's order and intricacy. The human impulse for beauty and glory reflected in the arts and the sciences is an expression of God's generative love language. Liberation of the oppressed and care for the vulnerable is another of God's love languages. The exodus from Egyptian slavery details that expression. The mandate for Sabbath rest and the prohibition of idolatry expresses the protective clause of God's love language because we know failure to follow both consumes and annihilates us. When the, when the Bible breaks into song, we hear the music of the spheres. The God who is ever mindful of all God has created, so sings Psalm 8, and of the God who knows us completely beyond whose reach we can never go, notes the 139th Psalm. Now, even the prophets who tend to sing in minor keys are motivated by God's love language, for God knows the failure to care for others eventually destroys everyone. The cries of a child in a manger, the cries of his agony for Jerusalem and from Golgotha that wondrously become the joyous cries of he is risen are testimony to the God whose language is love, not hate, love, not despair. Love, not vengeance. To be sure, every choice has consequences and God cannot prevent those, but God's response to whatever happens is the language of love, seeking to redeem, reconcile, renew, restore. We recall the Gospel of John opens with this, Christ as Word present with God as God spoke first words of creation 
And then only a few chapters later, John writes of God's love language with these words, for God so loved the world. Well, if we are willing to venture a little bit, we could go so far to suggest that the church is an expression of God's love language. Early on, the church was imaged as the body of Christ. And as we think of Jesus as God's love in flesh and blood, so also the church in the spirit of Christ is to be God's love language embodied into the world. We celebrate this calling especially today, Reformation Sunday. Remembering 506 years ago when Martin Luther recalled the church as it was then to admit its mistakes, to reform its practices, and to renew its essential purpose. That clarion call for the mighty waters of justice and righteousness, righteousness to roll down like an ever-flowing stream still laps at the church's shores all these years later, and we hope it always will. The church is ever and always formed and reforming, for both history and the present day reveal that the church has and has not fully embodied God's love language. And if we're willing to venture a little bit further, we know that Reformation did not begin 500 years ago. We can actually go back 1,500 years when before Luther, Jesus of Nazareth was stirring the waters and he was unmooring some of the church officials. Matthew's Gospel tells us of one of those moments. The story reads like a trial, as Jesus is brought before the church council and he's given a test. It is another in a series of contentious moments Jesus faced in the days following his entry into Jerusalem. The setup is pretty obvious. It's pretty transparent. There are many commandments, by one counting, 613 of them, and perhaps maybe even more laws and ethical guidelines for daily living. You, Jesus, are a very wise teacher, so if you would please be so kind as to boil all this down for us. What is the most important one? Well, we know this kind of setup, don't we? It's a question that's meant to discredit Jesus because no matter how he answers, someone will come back with, well, why didn't you pick this one, Jesus? Jesus, the master teacher, who rarely responds to a direct question with a direct answer, comes as close to doing that here as anywhere else by giving a response that is actually broader than the measure of the question. Jesus wants people to know that when it comes to love language, it cannot be limited because it is always expansive. His response 
is brilliant. He draws from the cherished teachings of the faith that they all share. Jesus emphasized love for God taught in Deuteronomy with love for neighbor taught in Leviticus. Worship and ethics are two sides of the same cloth. There is no fabric that holds together that is only one-sided. We could say that the first piece of cloth is God's material. God so loved the world. We love because God first loved us. But there's no way to separate the two. And the letter called 1 John expresses this so beautifully. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Because God loved us so much, we also are to love one another. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Although Jesus was not the first to pair loving God and loving neighbor as the core of faith, we remember his saying this because he taught it and he lived it. And all these years later, the body of Christ called the church is to be God's love language in the world. Matthew's story does something incredibly important because it reveals how Jesus interprets scripture. He said in response to the question he was asked that the law and the prophets, which is to say everything, is to be interpreted through the law of love, not love of the law. So we do well to notice how Jesus interprets Scripture. Because we know too well that sometimes the Bible and sometimes certain expressions of religion are used to pummel people or to separate or to demean or to destroy. Jesus says the law of love is everything. So love is what it means to be God's people. Fine. The teaching is simple. But we know it's not easy. To love God may be the more difficult calling. And yet perhaps if we listen to God's love language, then we can love what and as God loves Love the creation, love the hurting, love beauty, love Sabbath. If you are an early morning walker, then you have seen before the sun comes up the sentinel planets shining in the eastern and the western skies. They are magnificent. Awe is an expression of God's love and God's and our love for God. Wondering in the glory of the universe that we are part of it and that it is part of us. Remember, we're some portion stardust. 
This past Wednesday, at Logos opening circle time, we marveled at the deep hues of colors coming from some of the trees right now. When a child or a teen or an adult exclaims, wow, in response to life's gifts, we celebrate God's love language and love for God. Now, admittedly, that can be easy to miss. If you're like me, when you walk, your head is down so you don't trip. <laughs> or our days are busy because we just we have so much for which to care. So maybe loving neighbor is easier. And maybe it's not. <laughs> because you know, neighbors, they don't always agree. Jesus is not preaching enlightened self-interest when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And he is certainly not preaching that when he says, love your enemies. Instead, he is proclaiming that God's language is love in which all the world is to resonate. It's been attributed to 20th century theologian Karl Barth that he once said, whenever the Christian life in commission or omission is good before God, the good thing about it is love. Last week, the church newsletter printed an article written by one of our high school youth who, reflecting on this year's stewardship theme of why, how, who, told of being on mission trip last summer in Puerto Rico. And she wrote the following. I serve on mission trips with FCC because of people like Abdon, Magdalia, Pastora Rosa, Cortez, and Marielis. Getting to travel to what feels like another world and to be a steward to those who may not be able to fulfill their own needs is a privilege in and of itself. But the relationships built when growing in faith and serving in God's name are truly something special. After mentioning something about each person, something about Abdon and Magdalia, Rosa, Cortez, and Marielis, she concluded, when we are on mission trips, we all have one thing in common which is to spread the love of God through service. The words of our youthful writer, wise beyond her years, reminds us that love always has a name attached to it. God's name, another's name, our name. Today, as we present our pledges for the 2024 year of ministry, we do so for all kinds of wonderful reasons, but perhaps the best reason is that as we have ventured back today, remembering the great reformation and the great commandment, so we are also called to venture forward, to add our voices to one of God's great love languages, which is the church, the church living in love.